out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Today I speak with my new friend Brad. Brad and I ran into each other on Twitter. I liked his attitude on Twitter and started paying closer attention to his posts. He posts as at BraveSA on Twitter and on Instagram as BMeTraining. That is B the letter, me training. What I like about him on social media is his no-nonsense direct approach. He really seems to care about people, but he is not going to entertain their bullshit in the process. He says things as they are while being respectful and not engaging unnecessarily. I wanted to know more about the person behind his posts and thought you might enjoy him too. So here he is. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the home page. Please also look out for information on my new book, Life for Non, a 12-step guide to life for non-addicts. You can find it by following the link from the right of my homepage. It costs 300 rand without postage. Or you can order from me in my shop, which is www.freddyshop.co.za and that is f-r-e-d-d-i-e shop.co.za. This is Brad's story. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Brad, good morning. Welcome to Meet Me in the Field. How are you doing today? Very well. How are you? I'm cool. Thank you very much. It's a clear and windy Monday morning in Cape Town. How are things in Joburg? Also, a little bit overcast this morning. There's definitely a bit of a chill in the air. Uh, I think winter's coming. No, I hate winter. Actually, I'm trying. I'm trying to to to, to mind fuck myself and, and tell myself that I, it's not that I hate winter. It's just that I prefer summer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you are in Ruderpoort in Johannesburg, but you are not a born and bred Joburger. I was actually born in Joburg, um, but I grew up most of my life in Cape Town. Um, in my valley. Yeah. So, and, I, and I grew up in your valley, which is so yeah. interesting. Actually, my first house that I ever owned was in Delray. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of just before Rudapurt, actually part yeah. of Rudapurt, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Not too far from me. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you were born and bred in Johannesburg, and then you moved down to Somerset West. Yes, um, so I was born in Joburg, um, born at, uh, I think it's called Santon Mediclinic. Um, okay. And my parents, we owned a farm in Bridestrom, just outside okay. of Joburg. And uh, so I spent my first couple of years on the farm. Lacquer. Uh, and what did you farm with? You know, I don't actually think my parents did any real farming. I think okay. <laughs> I remember we had a horse and a pony. We had a whole lot of chickens, a whole lot of geese. 
but I don't think there was actually any farming that went okay. on. We just lived on the farm. Awesome. Yeah. So just wanted space. I think so. And then you came down to to Cape Town. Yeah. Then we moved to Cape Town. We moved to. I'm trying to think of the name. It's near near Komaki. Okay. Um, and then my parents got divorced, and my mom and I moved to Joburg for a little bit. Then we moved to Botswana. And then I was there for a couple of years. And because there were, at the time, there were no good high schools in, in Botswana, my mom made the decision that I needed to go to high school in Cape Town. So she wanted to send me a year or two before I started high school so that I could get used to things. So when I was about 12, you know, grade 6, I moved back to Cape Town to go to boarding school. My parents, their divorce was quite an ugly one, so my mom's condition was that I could move to Cape Town to go to high school, but I had to be at boarding school and could only see my dad on weekends. Okay. So I moved back to Cape Town, and then, uh, yeah, I started boarding school in grade 6. So how were things growing up in Botswana? That, the Botswana is, is, is a bucket list item of mine. So um, to, just to hear Botswana is already exciting me. <laughs> it, it was, I must say, it was fantastic. You know, I've made so many good friends there. I was quite young, obviously, but I have a lot of fond memories of us going camping um, but, you know, when I talk about camping in Botswana, it's not sort of you go for the weekend. We would, a whole lot of us would all go together and you've got big freezers in the back of your 4x4s that run off your vehicle batteries and you go for two or three weeks. And you just oh, my word. Place. Yeah. It's, uh, I, had, I was very fortunate. I had some incredible experiences in the bush when I was growing up. Um, oh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, we, sure, we would go into... Obviously, Botswana's got some massive game reserves, so we would go in into the reserves, and there's no, then, there were no dedicated camping sites. You would just go find a spot to camp, set up your camp. You know, if you needed firewood, you would take your 4x4 four four and a chain and go and pull down a dead tree somewhere, drag it back <laughs> yeah. to your camp, <laughs> put it on top of the fire. Uh, yeah, we had some really, really incredible experiences with wildlife there awesome it's funny i'm sure we'll come to it now but when i was a bit older i actually moved back to botswana for work and like i said we'll come back to it i'm sure but uh it was such a shock for me because i've never in my life experienced drug use oh like my word is prevalent amongst the expat community in, in gaborone specifically good grief it was such a shock for me because Gaborone or Botswana had always been sort of full of happy memories and, and that sort of thing. And when I went yeah. back there, it was a massive shock. Freaky. Yeah. Listen, um, just for interest sake, do you, the photographs hanging behind you, are they photos you took? Do you do photography? They're actually, they're actually photos that my wife took. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Lo- they are lovely. Oh, she's a very, very good photographer. Is that what she does for a living? No, it's just a passion of hers. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, she loves taking photos. The two of us love the bush, so 
we haven't been for a while, but we often go to Pilansburg, which is Lecker. a couple of hours from us. So yeah, yeah we love the bush. Awesome. Did you grow up spiritually or with some form of religion or, 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 or weird spiritual shit going on in your life? Um, not really. You know, I think like most people, my parents were sort of, um, I'd say, Christian slash Catholic, uh, just almost by default, but they weren't practicing. So we didn't go to church. We would maybe go to church for things like Midnight Mass or okay. Easter, things like that. Yeah. I became a Christian when I was 19. But that was okay. sort of, again, you know, it, it's one of those things. I became a Christian almost in, you know, in quotes because I was using and up to all my nonsense. So. I was called a Christian and referred to myself as a Christian, but didn't live that way. Okay. And it's only after a couple of years that, I, that I'm in recovery that it's been a significant part of my life. Okay. How old are you now? I've just turned 34. Okay. 34 on the 3rd of March. On the 3rd of March? Yeah. Oh, cool. So we are both Pisces. My birthday is the 8th. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. What happened at 19 that you decided that, that religion was the way to go for you? I finished high school in Cape Town and then decided I wanted to take a gap year. So. Oh, one of those lucky ones who had that luxury. You're young enough to enjoy that. Well done. So you're 19 years my junior, so um, you, could have, you could have been my child. <laughs> <laughs> Had I been that way inclined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I finished high school, moved up to Joburg. My half-sister was up here with her husband. And I started working at a superbike school where we taught people how to ride superbikes. Um, that side of my family is very into the biking lifestyle. Okay. So I went with my sister and her husband once to the bikers church. Ah. And I was quite attracted to it because, you know, these people were were Christians, but not in the typical sense. You know, they were yeah. arrived on motorbikes and they made a lot of noise. And I just felt like they were real. Yeah. So I identified with them quite quickly. And then... Yeah, I decided to give my life to the to the Lord when I was 19. I wasn't a, <laughs> an ideal Christian. I don't think no. that's art, actually, to be fair. But, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was technically a Christian from the age of 19. But like I said, okay. I didn't like it for many years. Okay. And what happened next in your life? So, my mom was living in Ghana. Uh, what? When I, in Ghana? Yeah. Um, so, so sorry, there's a question I wanted to ask earlier. How did you end up in Botswana? Would, did she grow up in Botswana? Or, or why, why Botswana? Why Gaborone? My mom worked for a guy who had the uh, franchise rights for Woolworths. Okay. So she oh, wow. Yeah, she opened 
the first Woolworths stores in Botswana. Okay. And then that she worked for the same guy for a long time, and he then got the rights to open a Woolworths store in Accra in Ghana. Oh wow! So she was there when I finished high school. I had sort of a couple of months of my gap year still left, and I decided, or my mom said to me, you know, why don't you come spend a couple of months with us in Ghana? Yeah. So from Joburg, I left, went to Ghana. Uh, my dad was very, very against it. He wanted me to get into studying. He didn't want me to take a gap year. Um, okay, so after I'd been in, in Joburg on my gap year for a little bit, my mom was working in Ghana. She said to me, why don't you come up, spend a couple of months with us? And so I was there for a few months. I was really enjoying it. And then my mom was given the opportunity to work for the guy who was given the distribution rights for Nike. Ah. Yeah, Whoa. so she said, you know, well, why don't you get a bit of work experience? My mom's been in retail all her life. Woolworths stores, Nike stores, Trueworths, Mr. Price stores, identity. Wow. Yeah, so I thought, cool, I'll try that. So I started off as a merchandiser and from there started managing the store. Um, and For then, Nike? Yeah, and then from there became oh, awesome. a manager. Yeah, cool. so it was incredible. It was an amazing opportunity for me because Nike's seasons are 13 weeks long. So every 13 weeks, Nike has their sales meetings. And it's always all over the world. You know, Nike buyers from all over the world come together. They see fashion shows. They go through the new product and then place orders for their regions. So I was given the opportunity to attend all of those. And so I went to sales meetings in Miami, in Hilversum, in Holland, um, in Spain. Mm -hmm. One one sales meeting in Spain, we were in Marbella, and uh, I got on the final night, we got to party with Bon Jovi. (laughs) (laughs) when, When we were in Miami, all of the Victoria's Secret models were all staying at the same hotel as us. So, Oh, my God. And you are now how old? Uh, then I was about 22. Ooh, so still a relatively rangy, ra- raging bunch of hormones. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I can't see a lot of productivity from your side in those conditions. <laughs> I don't think there was too much. Most of the work got done, I think, when we got back from the sales meetings. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> and where, where did the path lead you from there? So I did that for quite a while. Then it's funny how it worked. The distributor for Nike, who was given the rights for Botswana, he then approached me. And he said, why don't you come and work for me and open the first Nike store in Botswana? Oh, my word. Full circle. Exactly. Um, And so he has the distribution rights for Mozambique. And uh, so he's based in Mozambique and he wanted somebody that would open the store for him in Gaborone. 
And so I moved to Gaborone. I was there for a little bit. And then my sister and her husband owned a signage company that wasn't doing well. And my sister asked me if I'd please come back to South Africa to help her husband run the signage company. So I left okay. came back to Johannesburg and uh, started working at the signage company. Yeah, and then not long after that, my <laughs> my sister and her husband and their two kids decided to leave South Africa and they moved to Australia. My mom is Australian. So okay. uh, she, my mom is back in Australia. Okay. So, you know, all of my family on my mom's side moved back to Australia and left <laughs> left me here in, in Joburg. So oh, my word. Uh, I probably... Yeah, I probably would have moved back to Cape Town, but in the time that I was working for the signage company, I met my wife. Okay. So, and her family is here. Have you ever considered taking your wife? Do you have children? No, not yet. Okay. Have you ever considered moving to Australia yourself with your wife? Uh, No, not really. I don't have a very good relationship with my mom. Or my sister and her husband. Okay. So I haven't spoken to my mom in years. Oh, my word. Okay. So, and also my wife was born in Canada. Oh, my word. (laughs) Jesus. If we were going to move anywhere, we would move to Canada. I'm with you on that one. At some stage, my husband applied for a job in New Zealand. And I was going to, I really, 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 really don't want to go to New Zealand. Why don't you rather apply in Canada? His main reason was me. It, it, it came out afterwards because I hate the cold so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to get my my head around the fact that I, that I actually spend 90 to 95% of my time inside the house because I work from home. So, so ultimately, what does it really matter to me what the weather's like outside? Yeah. For as long as the house temperature is, is, is warm, I can be anywhere in the bloody world. So yeah. the, the, as, as soon as I changed that mindset, then yes. the world opened opened for us. In this whole period, you were identifying as a, as a Christian, but you weren't really living as a Christian. How, how, no. did, that make you, how did that make you feel? But what went on inside Brad at that stage? Um. You know, to be honest, I didn't really think about it too much. Um, okay. And looking back now, I think it, it's very easy to, and I think it's a big problem within most churches or most Christian circles, is it's very easy to call yourself a Christian. It's a whole other thing to actually live like one. Yeah. Um, and so I think probably a big contributing factor to why I didn't think about it too much was because the other Christians that I saw around me lived the same way. Yeah. As long as we went to church on a Sunday and said grace before we ate or um, <laughs> yeah. you know, knew all the right words to say to each other, like, I'm blessed, my brother, and, and that sort of yeah. thing, we were Christians. But yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody else around me was sort of maybe not to the extent I was doing it, but they weren't living fantastic lives either. Okay. So there wasn't an, an, an immense amount of guilt and shame and, and all those type of things that attached to it. It was just what it was. It was just yeah. one of those things. 
I think primarily also because initially I wasn't hurting anybody. I yeah. was Christian with my own sort of secret addiction. And okay. The remorse and the guilt and things like that only really started to kick in as my addiction got worse and I started to hurt those around me. Okay. Okay. And what was the initial initial addiction? It actually started off with Microdolls. Oh, um, my word. I loved yeah. Microdolls as well. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at, I fractured my back in seven places. And, oh, my uh, word. With a, mic, with a, 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 a motorbike? No, I was actually playing rugby. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, so I was given... Good God, uh, what, what the hell do you do in rugby to fraction your, fracture your back in seven places? <laughs> I got <laughs> I got tackled. By two somebody guys somebody must have smoked you fuckle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was it was always you know I went to to a sort of a school in in Newlands and uh, we hated playing rugby against the guys from like Paul and Somerset West. Uh-huh. They were tough Afrikaans guys. Uh-huh. So it was funny. Uh, the week no, of stick up with Afrikaner Exactly. And we always we had all these theories, you know, that the guys from those Afrikaans schools they they practice tackling cows and things like that. So <laughs> you you would always see the week of a rugby match against those teams, guys would suddenly develop injuries and illnesses <laughs> and be unable to play on Saturday. <laughs> I hear you. What position did you play? I played eighth man. Okay. Yeah, so, so I practiced my back and then uh, uh Used my uh, and so uh, so this was at school already that this happened. Yes. Okay. So I, this was at school. Every now and then, you know, I would uh, smoke a little bit of weed at school with some of my friends, especially after I got injured and wasn't able to be at training sessions or anything like that. I had nothing to do in the afternoons at boarding school. Yeah. So, we would, you know, sneak out, go and smoke some weed. It's also when I started smoking cigarettes. And, yeah, I started so, using... So boarding alcohol. school for you became boredom school? Exactly. It yeah. was. It, uh, because I was fine when I was busy. You know, I played a lot of sports. I played rugby, rowing, water polo. Um, oh, wow. So I was very... I was busy every afternoon of the week. Uh, yeah. And so I never really time to get up to nonsense but yeah. it was when I got into it that I then started sort of getting into the wrong things and yeah. uh, even when we used to smoke weed I didn't like it I don't like the feeling of not being in control um, yep. and it was different with things like my Pradol because I, I still felt like I was in control but I didn't feel any emotion at all yeah. And that's what I was addicted to or what I became addicted to. Yeah. That feeling not having to feel anything. I love that. Not caring a fuck what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I on the other hand loved weed. It was just I was such an anxious child that the first time I got stoned it, and that relax the relaxing feeling was what, what, what really caught me again. Oh my god, I have arrived. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so you so you started abusing the Mypridols quite early in your life already. Yes, 
and then um, I actually stopped taking them for a long time, probably the last probably the last two years of high school. Um, I just didn't take them at all, and then even in my time during my gap year, um, I was fine. Didn't feel the need to use anything. Didn't want to use anything. And then a girl that I started dating, an American girl in Ghana, uh, she introduced me to tramadol. Ah. And that was the beginning of the end for me. Okay. And did you take it also for, for, for back pain or did you by that time develop some other aches and pains? I actually had... I was struggling with an ankle injury. <laughs> it's quite a silly story, but I jumped off a double-story building uh, when with a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I thought was going to happen other than getting injured, but <laughs> I hurt my ankle. And, uh, yeah, this, this American girl that I was dating at the time, she said, well, you know, here's some tramadol take this it'll help with the okay pain. and uh, my, my brother actually broke his ankle on a skateboard oh. when we were when we were both in primary school yeah and, the and I, hope my, about I hope my mother doesn't listen to this recording because I, I i don't think up until today she still knows that he actually broke his ankle with with a skateboard yeah yeah, I think that's so, the sad thing is you say you did it when you're in primary school. When I did this, I was I think I was about twenty. Oh my I god! Really so 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 you should, you should have known better. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh well, we all do bullshit like that, don't we? <laughs> so, <laughs> with you being in recovery, the the conclusion that I can make is that the the addiction just got worse. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I started taking those tramadol quite regularly and uh, you know then I would start taking them before we went out at night or when I just felt like sort of zoning out for a little bit and then before long I noticed that my body would start sort of throwing a tantrum if I hadn't uh, taken any of the tramadol that day um, okay. my nose would start running my joints would start hurting Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, so real, real withdrawals. Yeah, I would withdraw. And then, you know, then I was taking one or two 50 milligram tablets at a time. And by the end of, just before I entered recovery, in addition to all the other drugs I was taking, I was taking 32 tramahexyl tablets a day just so that my body Ooh. wouldn't from them oh my um, god where the hell did you get it all <laughs> it was an elaborate scheme that i had i had um, <laughs> you know i had I, I love the word elaborate scheme <laughs> just just as a true addict can scheme if he wants to or needs to get his stuff <laughs> oh it's it's amazing the lengths we go to you know even just for the the tremor hexel um which is obviously the version of tramadol that we get in South Africa. Yeah. We also get set as well. Um, but I had a script from my doctor, which I would Photoshop, make copies of, and then I had scripts at 
pretty much every pharmacy <laughs> within, I don't know, probably a 30 kilometer radius of my house. <laughs> a 50 and, mile radius. <laughs> yeah. So I had notes on my phone of when I went to which pharmacy, uh, how many days I had left until I could go and get my next repeat. So it was quite, <laughs> there was quite a lot of admin involved. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thank God for your managerial experience. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it helped me a lot. I often, I'm convinced that if we put as much energy into legitimate, good, healthy endeavors as we did into our addiction, we would be so much further along in life. Absolutely, but you you seem to be to be putting a lot of effort into your into your current endeavor because you are now a personal trainer. Am I correct? I am, yes. Awesome. That's where I got to, well, let's, let's use the word meet you on Twitter as Be Me Training. Yes. How did that happen? Um, it actually sort of, it's always been a passion of mine. Um, it's something that I studied and I've always enjoyed training, working out. Like I said, I've, I've been quite involved in sports yeah. all my life. And um, so, you know, I'm not somebody who enjoys wearing a suit and tie all day. I'm also not somebody that does very well working for other people. So it was... Shaking my head. <laughs> <laughs> so it was something that I identified as uh, an opportunity. I saw a number of, a number of people within my own life who were either looking for personal trainers or who would benefit from it. And so I thought, you know, it's something that I can do. It's something that I enjoy. And my goal was always to make physical fitness and personal training accessible. Unfortunately, in South Africa, personal trainers are, for the most part, prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I would go to the gym and see people doing all kinds of funny exercises with terrible form. And, and I think to myself, you know, I can help. Yeah. So, yeah, I started with a very small group of people. And, uh, yeah, it, it's growing. It's, it's not massive, but I have a nice client base and uh, yeah, I enjoy it. Cool, because you're quite an advocate on, on, on Twitter for correct form and for, for correct um, um, exercise modalities, if I can put it that way. You kind of cock people yeah. out. <laughs> it's, it's something like. that's crazy. Um, when you see, I, I can't handle personal trainers who have all these wild and ridiculous exercises that put clients at huge risk of injury. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a big believer both in, in recovery and in exercise and in everything. Master your fundamentals. Get the basics right. Um, you know, you see these videos of, of guys online, personal trainers doing exercises where they're balancing on one leg on a BOSU ball while they're <laughs> holding a weight plate above their head and it just it makes no sense to me if you're going to give somebody, especially somebody who's just starting out their fitness journey, yeah. tell them to do things like that. All that's going to happen is they're going to get hurt. And stop training. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I've got 
no time <laughs> for guys like that. And, and the same applies to people who are constantly pushing all sorts of supplements and telling you to buy this get big or help you burn fat. And, you know, I'm a, I always tell people, if you want to lose body fat, eat less. It's yeah. quite simple. Okay. Oh, God. I have committed to cut sugar out of my diet from today. <laughs> all the luck in the world because I know that is a very you know, the weirdest thing happened on Thursday that I drink two cups of coffee a day one in the morning when I wake up and one at lunchtime and these are, are, are caffeine the rest I drink water and on Thursday morning there was no caffeine coffee in the house so I drank decaf and by Thursday Thursday late afternoon I had such a headache I thought I was dying and I thought it was sinuses because I suffer from sinus. And eventually, I realized, oh, my God, I wonder if it's caffeine. So I had a cup of coffee around 7 o'clock at night, and the headache disappeared. And this is from just drinking two cups of coffee a day. I had caffeine withdrawal. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's amazing how our bodies withdraw from caffeine and from sugar. So am uh, I hearing you that I need to be prepared for sugar withdrawal? I believe so. Uh, your oh body will word. start to really perform. <laughs> perform as in as in um, pro protest. <laughs> yes, it will protest quite heavily. You do. Uh, not everybody. Uh, obviously, everybody's body is different. But yeah. most people, especially when they cut out sugar completely, uh, their yeah. bodies really start to scream at them. Okay, because I need to get rid of my boop. Okay. Yeah, I've got a I've got a real dad bod at this stage. Okay. And I try, I try to tell myself, but Freddie, you're 53 years old. It's okay. You know, it's not okay. I'm I'm not comfortable with it. I, my head tells me shit that I believe when I look in the mirror, and so I need to yeah. I need to do something about it. So you came into recovery how long ago? On the it was New Year's Eve 2016. So what the uh, hell that made you decide on New Year's Eve? It actually started about two weeks before New Year's Eve. My wife and her family confronted me. They tried to have sort of a bit of an intervention. Okay. And obviously I was full of denial and got defensive and angry. And mm -hmm. so I, uh -huh. and, uh, I checked into a hotel. And basically spent two weeks on a massive binge. Oh, and my word. So I spent that Christmas alone, high, in a hotel room. and. Uh, well, thank and God you're not a sex addict. It would have been alone, high, and with your dick in your hand. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so thank God. Thank God for that. <laughs> yes. So it was New Year's Eve the morning of New Year's Eve and I'd run out of money and uh, the hotel oh. basically said, okay, you got to go. So I left the hotel and uh, I was actually sitting, I didn't know where to go. I was just walking around aimlessly and I was ended up sitting outside a, a hospital. and uh, In Johannesburg? Yeah, in Joburg. Okay. And, you know, as the day sort of went on, it got later, and I could hear people all around, you know, celebrating with their loved ones, and people lighting fireworks, and having a good time, and 
I thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. It has to God, stop. Brad, that picture sounds so dark, eh? Oh. It was horrendous. And, oh, it uh, sounds awful. Just, just hearing you telling me telling this is, is giving me goosebumps. Ugh. Yeah, it was terrible. And I had a, a cheap cell phone with me at the time and uh, a tiny little bit of data. So I quickly did an online search while I was sitting outside this hospital for rehab centers mm-hmm. and found this number for uh, a halfway house in Bryanston and it, there was a cell phone number there so I sent the cell phone number a message just saying you know I'm broke I have no money I have nowhere to go but I want to get clean please will you help me oh, and wow. lady replied to me and uh, she said just come so oh, wow. I spent I spent that night sleeping outside the hospital and then as soon as the sun rose on the 1st of January, I walked from this hospital in on the West Rand in Rudderport. Uh, I walked from there to Bryanston. Oh my uh, God! Yeah, and uh, I had the clothes on my back and a bottle of water in my hand. That's it. And uh, by the time I got there, I was sweating and I had blisters on my heel. I had started to withdraw already by the time I got there. It took me a couple of hours to And yeah, I basically immediately started going into withdrawals. And uh, I did that for six. My, my withdrawals last five, six and a half days. And yeah, every sort of minute or so, my body would convulse and vomiting and couldn't sleep and my emotions were all over the place you know one I was sort of positive about the future the next minute I wanted to die and it was literally the fight of my life and I remember walking around the halfway house in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep and just banging my elbows against the wall to try and make the pain oh my word because by this time you, you were not just withdrawing from from pain tablets, you were withdrawing from the alphabet, virtually every form of drugs that you could get your hands on. Am I correct? Yeah, cat cocaine, crack cocaine, crystal meth, uh, morphine, caffeine. Wow. So you were really fighting for your life, and did did God feature in those days? You know, it's funny. I actually, I was speaking to somebody the other day and they asked me about my relationship with God during that time. And, you know, at the, at the time, I was frustrated because I was having to fight. And, and so I would say things like, you know, God, if you really love me, why are you making me go through this? If yeah. You really are the almighty God. You know, you can just take this away from me right now and just set me free. And I know that he does do that for some people. Um, you know, maybe it was a fight that I needed to go through. But I, when just, I, I just back, want to say that that was not your journey. You needed you needed this path. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine and if you made if you made it easy, you possibly would have picked up again by now. <laughs> I'm 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 pretty sure that I would yeah. have. Um, yeah, no, it, we, we, what and, happens to us happens for a reason. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. So when I look back now 
And I think about the fight that I went through. You know, I can only think that the strength to get through that fight came from God. Now, yes, it would have been nice if I could have just said, I don't want to be an addict anymore. And I'd just been sort of delivered straight away with no sort of consequences and no uh, no fighting, no pain, nothing like that. But, you know, I, the fact of the matter is that I did get through it. And it yeah. was horrific. Uh, often when I speak to people who are struggling with addiction and I say to them, from the outset, you need to understand that this is not going to be easy. Yeah. Um, that's often a mistake people make is they think, okay, well, I'm just going to stop using drugs. And yeah. if I'm I'm over the moon for, for anybody who can just stop using, but for most of us, it's a, a literal fight for your life. Absolutely. I love that saying that says nobody says it's going to be easy, but it's definitely going to be worth it. Absolutely. I had been clean for almost a year. And it was, I think it was the 27th or 28th of of December. So just after Christmas, after I'd been clean for a year, the SAPS tracing team rocked up at the house to arrest me for something I had done when I was using. Oh my word. And it was an important lesson that I think I have been able to share with other people in recovery that there are consequences and you need to deal with them. Just because you stop using doesn't mean that's sort of the end of the difficult times. There are consequences. I'm not a huge fan of step work. Just for me personally, I didn't find made or that it was very helpful um Mm -hmm. for a lot of people it's incredible it's just it didn't really work for me and so i do agree though that a big part of your recovery is dealing with your consequences and uh, so i'll say my wife she's been with me for court appearances and (laughs) paying my bail and Oh my word! All that sort of stuff. So, yeah, when you are in recovery, you you also have to deal with your consequences and get them dealt and then move on. I always I always say to people is we must remember that early recovery is extremely difficult because not only are we struggling to to get clean and stay clean. We're also struggling to get used to our feelings because most of us use because we don't want to feel whatever we're going through. And then we also have to deal with all these consequences, the fallout of our addiction, early recovery. So people who say it, it gets more difficult the longer you clean, from, according to me, they talk bullshit. My life just got easier and easier and easier and better and better and better. The times that it gets difficult are the times that I move away from, from my recovery. And I take, I think that I can manage my life again. That's when I fuck up. That's when things get difficult. So how are things with you and God at this stage in your life? Better than they ever have been. I think I would, I would be disingenuous if, if I said, you know, there aren't times when I question God or sort of scream at him and say, where are you? Um, but I, I fight with my, my higher power on a regular basis as well. I think she finds it so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I really, I really have this picture in my head of her looking down at me and just smiling. I think, oh my god, you are so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah, I think it is like that. Sort of, oh, here we go again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's much better. There's a lot that I'm still learning. So in the last couple of months, become very aware of the fact that there's a role for me to play, especially with younger guys within the church to be a role model I'm a big big advocate of people being real and genuine and saying you know not a single person on this planet is perfect or has it all figured out what and <laughs> yeah. what? no <laughs> yeah. don't break my bubble this morning <laughs> <laughs> so we have to be able to talk to each other and say, you know, listen, I'm struggling with this. Or yeah. This isn't vulnerability is so important. Absolutely, and and I think especially, you know, obviously it's where my heart is probably. Well, I'm sure it's because, you know, I struggled when I was a, a younger guy, and so yeah. for me, I want other younger guys around me. To know that they can talk to me, know that there's never any judgment from me, and I'll support them however I can. Wonderful. And it's funny because I actually find that, again, I say this in inverted commas, um, my ministry, my calling, is actually given life through my personal training. So the relationships that I develop with these young guys during personal training sessions, then sort of flows over into them sending me messages asking for advice or saying that oh cool so uh, you, so not only are you a personal trainer you're a mentor a mentor I try to be <laughs> there's uh, yeah I, I try to be but again I'm very mindful of the fact that anybody who does see me as as a mentor understands that I'm very open about the fact that I don't have it figured out. I'm yeah. still learning. and uh, But, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, when you can't see the light, I'll sit with you in the dark. And uh, I love that. So sometimes that's all we need is if someone's struggling, sometimes they don't need you to try and fix it. They just need you to yeah. sit with them, with them. And so that's what I tried to do because I know that was what I craved and longed for when I was struggling. It's just for somebody to understand and, and just for someone to be there. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Brad, I'm going to end the chat here. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. But this was really beautiful. You sound like a wonderful person. And I'm so happy that you agreed to talk to me for Meet Me in the Field. And I'm sure the listeners are going to love this. And where, do, where can the listeners find you if they're interested in knowing more, in making use of your services? I'm on Instagram. Uh, my username is BME Training. Um, yeah. And I'm um, on Twitter as well. My handle on Twitter is Be Brave SA. Good. Uh, Be Brave is sort of my, that's what I try to live my life by. And oh, yeah, Sarah, what's that song? But Sarah Bareilly, I want to see you be brave. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite songs in the whole world. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So so that's it on Instagram and Twitter. So guys, you've you've heard that. I will put the links in my 
right up before the the chat as well. So if you want to get hold of Brad, you, you make use of his amazing services, then go for it. Brad, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Freddie. It was so awesome to have met Brad. He has this weird warmth about him. I don't know what it is, but I just liked him immediately. He has this strange, confident shyness about him, if that is at all possible. I'm incredibly grateful that he has spoken to us. I wish him a loving and caring future. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor, or on Twitter at at Freddy, or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. You can also shop my merchandise at www.freddyshop.co.za. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.